A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of sex and sexual violence, including sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the satyr. Today's episode combines a variety of details about the mythical species, including legends of the lecherous satyr god Pan for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original by Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Each week, we explore one of history's most hair-raising monsters. We discuss where they came from, which of humanity's deepest fears they prey upon, and ultimately, we find what makes them so terrifying, both then and now. Today, we're exploring the ancient Greek satyr. Satyrs are half-goat, half-human creatures, known for imbibing on far too much wine and preying upon beautiful young maidens who wander into their infamous festivities. However, their drunken, lecherous behavior was also seen as a warning against the dangers of losing one's inhibitions. You can find more free episodes of Mythical Monsters and other originals from Parcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up, we'll dive into the early history of the Seder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The satyr is a mischievous hybrid beast and follower of Dionysus, the god of wine. Though they're typically depicted as half-man, half-goat, or horse, there are a variety of classifications. Satyrs known as the Silenae are known to be winemakers and often depicted as fully human in appearance with goat horns atop their head. The satyr known as the Panes, however, assumed the form of a man with goat legs, ears, and horns. These satyrs are linked to the patron god of rustic music and nature, Pan. Panes satyrs are often depicted singing and dancing. It's for this reason, and their penchant for wine, that some have suggested the satyr is the party animal of ancient Greek mythology. Satyrs will play their flutes and use their joyful dancing to lure hesitant nymphs and maidens into their gatherings. These parties often begin as lively and enjoyable, but can spin wildly out of control. 
In ancient art, satyrs are frequently depicted nude and aroused, seducing or assaulting the females who step into their celebrations. Their lecherous behavior was traditionally used as a source of comedic relief in mythological tales, but their powerful sexual desires make them a terror to the young women they covet. Satyrs play upon a fear that unnerves men and women alike, the dark sexual urges of the male. For women, the satyr is a warning against men's predatorial impulses. For men, the satyr's half-animal form literally embodies the fear of an animalistic part of themselves that they cannot control. Syrinx cupped her hands and dipped them into the stream. She raised the cool water to her lips. The daylight was dwindling, and she still had not procured supper. If she did not get going, there would be no meat for her and her sisters tonight. She picked up her spear and stood before muttering a quick prayer to the goddess Artemis to guide her hunt. Her prayer was interrupted by splashing from the river. Nearby, her younger sisters Cordelia and Anna frolicked in the water, their garments cast aside on the shore. Syrinx frowned at their shameless nudity. Her younger sister Cordelia turned to catch Syrinx's glare and called out, you should get in, sister, and wash that grime from your face. The sisters laughed, but Syrinx only grimaced. She should keep her mouth shut. It would only make them tease her more. One day they would realize all that she did for them. She turned to leave, but their ceaseless giggling caused her to hesitate. She could not help calling out, Sisters, please cover yourselves. You do not know who may be watching. Her sisters stopped and stared. A moment later, they dissolved into laughter. Cordelia shouted, It is unfortunate that only our prudish sister is here to see us. We should be so lucky to get a handsome stranger watching from the woods. Syrinx's hand tightened around her spear as she instinctively glanced around the river. Her sudden alertness only made her sisters laugh harder. She bristled, her cheeks aflame. Let them laugh, she thought. She had traded Artemis her chastity for immortality, a promise that was more important to her than any handsome fool. No man, mortal or otherwise, was worth sacrificing her eternal youth and strength. Syrinx heard another splash and looked down to see Cordelia pop up from the stream next to her. Before she could react, Cordelia pulled her into the water. Syrinx resurfaced, sputtering. She glared at her giggling sisters as Cordelia teased her. It seems even immortals can get wet, huh, sister? The two younger girls laughed, and Anna lightly splashed her. Syrinx softened. It was all in good fun. Soon, she was laughing with them, playfully returning their splashes. For all the headaches her sisters caused her, their hearts were in the right place. They were the only ones who could get her to relax. That night, Syrinx lay awake on a straw mat in their cave. She stared at the roof while Anna and Cordelia quietly slept toward the back. She liked to lie at the entrance so that she would wake first if any interlopers entered. 
But sleep was not coming easily for Syrinx that night. She curled into a ball and let her mind wander. She often thought about leaving this cave and living with Artemis's followers, the Hunters. To be around like-minded women would be a relief, but her sisters would never embrace Artemis's teachings, and the thought of leaving them here, unprotected, was not an option. Finally, her thoughts quieted, and she slowly drifted off to sleep. Syrinx awoke at the sound of hushed voices, Cordelia and Anna. Their footsteps padded past the cave entrance. She sat up groggily before her wits sharpened, and panic shot through her. She called out to them, but only a soft breeze answered. She rose with a frustrated groan. Nothing good happened in the middle of the night. She would have to find her sisters before they got into mischief. Syrinx's bare feet hurried over leaves and rocks as she navigated a forest trail. She scanned the forest for any signs of her sisters, spear clutched in her hands. But there was nothing, just the dark, empty woods. She had no idea which direction they had gone. Closing her eyes, she prayed to Artemis to protect her younger sisters. Syrinx stopped her prayer abruptly as a melody drifted through the trees. A flute was playing nearby. She slowly walked toward the sound. As she drew closer to the music, uproarious laughter reached her ears. Syrinx tensed, her earlier thought running through her mind. Nothing good happens in the middle of the night. But still, she kept walking, her worry for her sisters growing with each step. Finally, through the trees, she glimpsed the light of a bonfire. Silhouettes danced around it, twirling and jumping. Syrinx ducked behind a tree at the edge of the clearing. Once she was sure she hadn't been seen, she looked out once again. A group of 20 danced around the fire. They moved almost as one, whipping their bodies back and forth with passionate abandon. Syrinx immediately spotted her sisters among the circle, moving through the dance as if they had done it a thousand times before. Their faces were pure bliss. She watched Cordelia's eyes roll back in her head and her mouth fall open. Syrinx tore her eyes away to look at the other revelers. There were a few other women and maidens, but mostly it appeared to be a crowd of naked men. They all had thick beards and long hair, with small horns that poked out from their curly locks. Her gaze fell on their lower halves, and she stifled a gasp. They were not men at all. Every one of them had the hindquarters and hooves of a goat. Syrinx knew exactly what kind of gathering she had stumbled upon. This was a satyr party. The satyrs joined hands around the fire and swayed their hips. The ones that weren't dancing blew into flutes and strummed on harps. Others passed wine around the circle. Syrinx watched a satyr lift a jug from a food-laden table. Her eyes followed the jug as it was carried to the fire dancers. The satyr raised it upwards and tilted it. 
pouring it directly into Cordelia's open mouth. The blood-red liquid streamed down her chin and onto her chest as she continued to dance. Syrinx looked away, unable to watch. Her gaze then drifted to the party's outskirts, where she found a more disturbing sight. In the shadows, more goatmen lay about with naked women. She watched a poor young girl drunkenly protest as an eager satyr straddled her. Syrinx slowly took a step back. This was an evil place. She looked toward her sisters in a panic. She had to get them away from here, now. But as Syrinx moved forward, a shape blocked her path. He was larger than the other satyrs, with beady black eyes beneath bushy eyebrows. Where the others exuded joy and revelry, this satyr oozed hostility. Syrinx staggered back a step. This man was hideous, but it was the way he looked at her that was terrifying. Hungrily, like she was his next meal. In a low, gravelly voice that scraped at her eardrums, he told her not to be afraid, that his name was Pan, and he simply wanted her to have fun. But his words did not soothe Syrinx. She turned to flee. Pan lifted a flute to his dry lips and gently blew. Syrinx froze as the gorgeous, haunting melody washed over her. Her heart pounded with terror until, to her surprise, her body relaxed. Her spear fell from her hands and her legs slowly stepped forward of their own volition, drawn in by the flute. Her eyes filled with tears. She knew she should run, but this beautiful song would not let her go. Coming up, Syrinx falls under the spell of Pan himself. Listeners, here's a new show I can't wait for you to check out. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, seemingly meant to be. Others defy the odds to achieve happily ever after. In Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to the story. The virtuous nymph Syrinx had pledged her virginity to the goddess Artemis, her fun-loving younger sisters, however, were more interested in enjoying their lives. When Syrinx's sisters sneak out under the cover of night, Syrinx followed them to a party. There, she watched from afar as they danced and drank in revelry with a group of satyrs, half goat, half men. But just as she was about to retrieve her sisters, the satyr god Pan appeared to charm her with his flute. 
Since around the 8th century BCE, satyrs have been a favorite of Greek and Roman literature. Authors like Hesiod, Virgil, and Cicero often used satyrs to incorporate wild parties and raucous fights in their works. By the 5th century BCE, satyrs had gained extraordinary popularity in theater as well. Satyr plays are short-form tragic comedies inspired by tales of Greek mythology. Up until the introduction of the satyr play, Greek theater was a somber practice, typically featuring productions about war, famine, and the gods' wrath. Though satyr plays dealt with similar mythological content, they leaned into the absurdity of these subjects. In their performances, the satyrs function as a Greek chorus that mocks the heroes or villains with crude and sexually explicit comedy. Theater was incredibly important to the ancient Greeks. Live theater allowed them to stay informed of current events and have access to different points of view through art. When wars or poverty brought struggles to the Greeks' daily lives, a play would help bring catharsis, and a satyr play would allow them to laugh their sorrow away. Unfortunately, the only complete satyr play that has survived the test of time is Euripides' Cyclops. But the importance of these works is clear. Satyr plays show us the cultural values of the ancient Greeks. Sexual depravity was and is uncomfortable to speak about. But like many comedies today, they find humor in an exaggerated version of the truth. And yet there is danger in normalizing sexual aggression. For women cornered by a lustful predator in real life, it would have been decidedly less humorous. Syrinx stood before the satyr god Pan as he played his seductive flute, caught inside of a trance. Moments ago, every urge she had told her to run, but the flute's sweet melody washed over her senses. Now all she wanted to do was close her eyes and bask in its soft notes. Pan stopped playing, but the feeling of his music stayed with her. Her fingertips tingled. She felt like she was floating. Pan leaned forward and smelled her hair with a smile. As he did so, Syrinx looked up at his face, wondering why she had once thought him terrifying. His bushy eyebrows and kindly eyes were charming, as were the adorable horns that poked out from his curly locks. He took her hand and leaned forward to whisper, a maiden as beautiful as you should not stand on the outside looking in, for it is you that should be looked at. She blushed. His voice warmed her, as delicious as the flute's notes. He gently pulled on her hand, leading her to the fire. Syrinx followed him slowly. The light from the flames was mesmerizing. The dancing bodies that circled it were entrancing. Syrinx watched it all in awe, as if seeing it for the first time. Again, she wondered how she had thought it was anything other than beautiful. The god and the nymph joined in the dancing circle and were pulled around the fire. Laughter filled the air. Syrinx looked about at the joyous faces. It was dizzying the way they went round and round. Across from her, Anna and Cordelia danced blissfully. Their smiles were soft and their eyes half-closed. 
Syrinx realized she'd been a fool to worry about their safety. They were perfectly happy where they were. She looked upwards, taking in the starry night sky. The dance, the music, it was a beautiful night. But suddenly, she felt herself pulled away from the group. Pan was leading her away to the table of food. She stumbled on a rock, but Pan's strong arms held her up. He whispered in her ear, professing his protection. She found herself nodding along, though she did not know what she needed protection from. She had entered a dream where nothing and no one could harm her. He tilted her head back and lifted a jug of wine to her lips. Syrinx drank, nearly gasping at its sharp tang. She had never imbibed before, and the sensation was like nothing she had ever felt. The drink made her face hot and her toes tingle. She giggled and mumbled, delicious. Pan chuckled and took a swig himself. The sound of splintering wood cut through Syrinx's haze like a knife. She startled, looking over to see a satyr holding a shattered mandolin over a rock. The beast cackled wildly. Another satyr pushed him, and soon the two were engaged in a brawl. Syrinx squeezed her eyes shut and opened them again. The fogginess of the scene slowly began to dissipate. Syrinx watched as more satyrs stopped what they were doing to join the fight, punching and yelling at one another. Others gathered around, sloppily cheering on the violence. Syrinx stared at the brawl with dawning horror. She looked around the gathering in confusion. She did not remember entering the clearing, nor drinking wine. Its taste felt heavy on her tongue, and her throat burned. She looked for her spear. Syrinx trembled as she noticed a beautiful woman lying on the grass a short distance away. A satyr gently stroked the woman's face and kissed her neck as her eyes stared vacantly at nothing in particular. Tears filled Syrinx's eyes as she recognized her sister, Cordelia. She let out a cry and moved forward to help her. But a rough hand grabbed Syrinx's arm. She turned to meet Pan's horrifying, cold eyes. His hot breath stank of wine as he leered at her. Syrinx gasped and yanked her hand away. She slowly backed away, her arms held up defensively. Hatred consumed her as she stared at this monster. He had seduced her, drugged her with his music and wine. As she backed away, she saw a menacing look pass over his face. His lip curled. He stepped forward, a hand reaching out to her. Both Pan and Syrinx looked over as a swell of jeers filled the air. One satyr had grabbed a flaming log from the fire and ignited a barrel of wine. With a yelp, he kicked it with his hoof. The flaming barrel tumbled down the hill, lighting trees and shrubbery as it went. Even the brawlers had stopped to watch the forest alight. Seeing Pan's distraction, Searing sprinted for the woods. But before she could disappear into its shadows, she felt herself yanked backwards by her hair. 
She hit the ground hard, looking upwards to see Pan loom over her. She struggled, sobbing with panic. She begged, please let me go. I am pledged to Artemis. Pan's eyes turned colder. His voice was full of venom as he spoke. Artemis is not here now. I do not think she will know. Syrinx cried out as he held her wrists tightly. She thrashed about, trying to free herself, but he was too strong. She eyed her pinned wrists. Then she lunged forward, sinking her teeth into Pan's arm. Pan let out a bone-chilling cry. Syrinx's eardrums rattled and her head throbbed. She flailed with renewed urgency, but Pan only tightened his grip. Grinning, he said, be still now, or it will only take longer. Syrinx's ears still rang from the unearthly cry. Her face was wet with her tears and her energy was fading. She thought of her promise to Artemis. She would lose her immortality the moment Pan had his way with her, an honor she had worked so hard for, gone in a moment. The thought made Syrinx's chest clench, and a wave of anger rose within her. Syrinx cried out, and one of her knees flew upward, hitting Pan between the legs. He let out a moan and fell to the side. Syrinx was on her feet in an instant. She ran into the woods as fast as she could. Branches tore at her skin, and brambles caught her hair, while Pan followed her into the trees. Up next, Pan finds his virtuous maiden is not so easily overcome. Now, back to the story. The nymph Syrinx had been unwittingly seduced at a satyr party by Pan, the god of satyrs himself. The god had tried to ravage her, but he instead became infuriated when Syrinx had awoken from his spell and fought him off. Terrified, Syrinx ran into the woods to make her escape. To the modern eye, it would seem that the ancient Greeks were incredibly sexual beings. Greek myths and art contain copious amounts of sexual content, including countless instances of incest and sexual assault. Gods and heroes alike are often depicted in the nude, which begs the question, why is a statue of a creature like Pan considered more base and lustful than a bronze sculpture of Zeus? The difference is not only in Pan's bestial components, but what lies beneath his waist. Like his satyr brethren, Pan is often illustrated pursuing nymphs with a large, erect phallus. While this is common among depictions of satyrs, it's unusual for a god to carry such a large feature. Instead, gods are frequently depicted with small genitals. This is because ancient Greeks associated a small phallus with virtuousness and moderation, and large male genitalia with lewdness. It's a way of differentiating the ideal man from the fool. Though gods and heroes also commit their share of sexual crimes, the satyr is the embodiment of vice. It makes no apology for being guided by lustful urges. 
The satyr's constant arousal has had its own influence on medical language. The term satyriasis describes a form of hypersexuality in males. Known in the 1950s as sexual depravity, satyriasis' counterpart in women is nymphomania. These complementary terms perpetuate the link between satyrs and the nymphs they constantly pursue. In most depictions, the dynamic between the satyr and the nymph is seen as comedic or frivolous. But in paintings or sculptures, the nymph frequently appears to be trying to get away. As we look at these renderings today, we can see them for what they are. Men who refuse to take no for an answer. Syrinx could hear Pan lumbering behind her as she ran through the forest. He called to her, his voice sending chills down her spine. She ran faster. As she dodged trees and hopped rocks, she thought of her sisters left behind in the clearing. She let out a sob. She had failed them. She could not fail Artemis, too. She whispered a hurried prayer, but was interrupted when her foot caught on a root. She hit the ground hard, but she was back to her feet in an instant. If she could just get to the river, the sweet sanctuary of the river, then maybe she could find a way out of this mess. The beautiful notes from Pan's flute drifted through the forest. Syrinx paused, momentarily lost to its enchanting tune. But the sound of Pan's thundering approach broke the spell, and once again she took flight. Her feet were torn and bloody. She winced with each painful step, but still she ran, until finally she saw the glint of her river through the trees ahead. Syrinx burst through the brush and threw herself on the river's shore. She yelled to the skies, Artemis, I need you. The goddess did not answer. There was no reply but the wind. Syrinx slowly turned to look at the forest behind her. Pan stepped out of its shadows. He grinned at her, letting out a carnal grunt. Syrinx closed her eyes and backed away from him. She softly whispered, at least let it be quick. Syrinx looked down to see she now stood at the edge of the river. She eyed its current. It was not swift enough to stop Pan, but perhaps it would slow him. She took a deep breath and leapt in. Syrinx plunged below the water, her legs kicking as she fought the pull of the current. She opened her eyes. The blue and white swirls of the river obscured her vision, but through it she could make out the other side. Her limbs screamed with effort as she swam toward the shore. Something yanked on her tunic, pulling her backwards. She whipped around, expecting to see Pan's evil eyes behind her. But instead, she saw that her tunic was caught on a branch that jutted out from the riverbed. She pulled on it, but it would not give. She was running out of air. Her heart beat faster and faster as panic took hold. She pulled on her tunic as hard as she could when suddenly a hand grabbed her arm. Syrinx screamed. A jet of bubbles burst from her lips. The hand pulled her hard, ripping her tunic and lifting her up toward the surface. 
Searing sputtered as the hand lifted her onto the shore. She frantically tried to tear herself free, but a gentle voice stopped her. Instead of Pan's formidable form, a tall woman looked down at her. She wore a long tunic with a quiver of arrows on her back and a bow in her hand. Her skin seemed to glow in the moonlight. Artemis. Searing stared at her, her eyes shining. I knew you would come. Artemis gently touched her cheek, and the two of them turned to stare at Pan, who had lowered himself into the river. He stopped cold at the sight of Artemis. Then his brow furrowed in a vicious glare. I did not expect to have two tonight. I shall have to stretch first. Artemis's eyes hardened. When a girl runs, it is not an invitation. Pan rolled his eyes. He was about to retort when Artemis unleashed an arrow. The arrow narrowly missed his head and struck the riverbank beside him. Pan flinched but covered his fear with a chuckle. The god of hunters needs to work on her aim. Artemis spoke, her voice low and menacing. I do not miss. My next shot will not be a warning. Syrinx smiled. Artemis leaned in, whispering gently to Syrinx, I know Pan well. I may stop him tonight, but I cannot hold him forever. Syrinx shivered. She would rather die than allow him to possess her in the way he craved. Artemis nodded, sensing her thoughts. I could take you with me, child, away from here. Syrinx's heart soared. Taken away to live beside Artemis as a true hunter, it was what she had always wanted. Syrinx looked over to where Pan had begun to wade across the river. His splashes reminded her of her sisters, and her stomach dropped. She imagined them returning to find her gone and wondering what had become of her. She saw them dancing with the satyrs night after night, their bodies being used while they lay there, too drunk to move. Pan drew closer. The glint of his eyes shone in the murky darkness. His horns appeared even larger. She whispered sadly, I cannot leave my sisters. The goddess nodded, her eyes kind. Pan was nearly across the river now. Syrinx backed away, cowering close to Artemis. The goddess snapped her fingers. Syrinx froze, her arms snapped against her sides, her legs pressed together as if bound by a rope. She was rooted in place. She opened her mouth to cry out, but her lips melted together before disappearing completely. Syrinx tried to look down, but her neck could not move. She tried to lift her arms, but they were no longer there. A breeze wafted through the river bend, blowing her from side to side. It tickled her pleasantly. Without meaning to, she let out a soft hum as the wind swept through her new form. It was then that she realized what she was. She had been turned into a river reed. She tried to scream, but all that came out was the same soft hum. 
This was not what she meant when she asked to stay. She needed arms. She needed her legs. She could not spend eternity stuck in the earth. She called out for Artemis, but the goddess was gone. The only sound she could hear was the gentle rush of the river. Pan hauled himself up onto shore. He stood panting as Syrinx watched him looking around in confusion. He called out for her, furious. Syrinx felt a surge of relief. Somehow he had not seen what Artemis had done. She was right beneath his nose, but he could not have her. She was free. Another breeze tickled Syrinx, and she let out that same soft hum. Pan stared at the patch of river reeds. Their timbre reminded him of Syrinx's cries. They even moved like the nymph, swaying gently. Pan chuckled. Artemis thought she was so clever, but he saw through her tricks. He leaned in to gently caress the reeds. Then he pulled a knife from his belt. Pan slashed the stalks at their foundation. Then he took the tall grass from the riverbank and bound them together, creating a few rows of reeds that he could hold in his hand, an instrument. Pan blew into his new creation and a sweet melody emerged. He smiled and walked into the woods, playing as he went. He would carry his syrinx with him forever. There is evidence that Pan was beloved by the ancient Greeks, perhaps for the same reason that the satyr plays moved them to laugh. He was the laid-back bad boy god of nature, who played on his flute and bedded countless women. But by the time the structure of the Roman Catholic Church became more formalized in 325 CE, Pan had begun to grow from a frivolous nature god to a satanic figure. His sexual virility was particularly threatening to the budding religion. Pan's physical form seems to have become a model for Satan's. The horned and hoofed depiction of the devil we see today can be interpreted as reinforcing the idea that a bestial appearance is linked to evil nature. Satan is terrifying because the church warns Christians that his influence will lead them into making wrong choices. To give in to Satan is to give in to our evil nature and allow our sinful desires to rule our actions. And it's perhaps for this reason why we find the satyr so unnerving. But as we look more critically at antiquated patriarchal views, what the satyr represents feels dangerous for a very different reason. Syrinx's plight is a tragedy. Not only is she forced to abandon her sisters to flee a predator, but she effectively loses the fight against him. She becomes Pan's tool, a literal object, when he uses her reed form to create his instrument, proving once again just how deeply the possession of women is ingrained into our cultural narrative. Today, we see Syrinx's tragedy for exactly what it is, trauma and the loss of autonomy at the hands of a tormentor.
Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Alexandra Garland. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.